Welcome back to Bible Answers with Philippians 1-9 Ministries. You're listening to Patrick O'Brien. Today we are going to talk about how there is no biblical basis for associating the laying on of hands with a transmission of a mantle or transferring of an anointing from one person to another. Essentially, we're going to look at this subject, a transferable anointing. Because of the overemphasis of the laying on of hands and this transferring of a mantle that we see by many of the hyper-charismatic churches today, we need to look at what God's Word says about this supposed transferring of an anointing. You know, in Hebrews 6, verses 1-3, through 3, we see these elementary teachings of the Christian faith. Well, in Hebrews 6, verse 2, we see that the laying out of hands is actually listed as one of those elementary teachings of the Christian faith. In other words, it's meant to be understood and not ambiguous. It's elementary. It's a principle. It's easily understood. So today, we are going to easily understand what God's Word has to say about this laying out of hands. We can tell that this idea of touching people on the forehead or the chest so that they fall, you know, this is what's considered by these false teachers as a sign of the power of the Holy Spirit. But none of this is found in the book of Acts, nor is any of it taught in the epistles. And it's not written to instruct the church anywhere. We always see the New Testament epistles are writing to instruct us to do all sorts of different things. There's things that we have to do to build up ourselves in in the faith, to become spiritually mature. As a church, there's instructions We're to grow in our understanding of the Word of God, but we're to never learn how to do some form of touching people on foreheads and and, uh, touching them on the chest so that they fall by a power of the Holy Spirit. None of that's taught. Now, we do see that Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.14 that do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance and laying on of hands by the presbytery. So what Paul's doing here is he's talking to Timothy in his letter. So in other words, God spoke about what he was doing in Timothy, and these apostles, they approved of him into ministry, even though he was young yet, and he would have quite a, he would come under attack for being young. And Paul would reaffirm in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, where he reminds him to kindle afresh that gift of God, which is in him through the laying out of hands. But we want to look back at 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. And we want to see there that God was speaking what he was doing in Timothy. And then these men, the apostles, approved of him into ministry, even though he was young. But what was the gift that Paul is talking about? Well, we see it in verse 13. He says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching not to lay uh, spiritual gifts to people and and touch them on foreheads so they fall down and scream like animals. None of that. He's talking about the gift. He says, specifically there, in 1 Timothy 5.22, we see Paul counseled Timothy. He says, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, or thereby share responsibility for the sins of others and keep yourself free from sin. So this is not supposed to be something taken lightly. It needs to be prayerfully considered before appointing anyone to any form of leadership role. Now, 
this power called the anointing that is supposedly being transferred from one person to, to another by this touch is not biblical. This is what these Pentecostal, hyper-charismatic churches are having this claim of. But this is not biblical. There's men like Benny Hinn who think it's possible to just blow on people and pass on some form of anointing. However, the message of the Christian faith was to be spread by teaching from one to another, not by supernatural displays of signs and wonders. Remember, these signs and wonders that we see occurring in Scripture always followed to validate the new leadership of the church. They followed the apostles. We see that first the word was preached, and then the signs and wonders followed to validate the new leadership of the church, the apostolic leadership. In much of the same way, Jesus' miracles were to validate his person as the Messiah and his message, the gospel. We have to make this distinction in the apostolic authority that they had. This is the the very reason for the signs and miracles were to appoint the apostles as a governing leadership over God's new entity called the church. If we look at the book of Acts, who, who was it that took up a serpent? Well, it was Paul, an apostle, who laid hands on the sick and they recovered, the apostles. This was never a normal occurrence for everyone who was a Christian. We even see when Dorcas died, the believers did not raise her, but sent for Peter to raise her from the dead, Acts 9, verses 36 through 42. This this shows that not all believers had this power to exercise these healings. And again, I'll leave you on that note with 2 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. The sign of an apostle was the miracles that were done. This distinguished them from other believers. Again, Acts 2.43, It fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders are done through the who? The apostles. Acts 5.12, And through the hands of the apostles, signs and wonders were done among the people. It was also always the apostles. Remember, Ephesians 2.20, The apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church. Notice it's past tense. It had been built. Once a foundation is laid, it doesn't need to be laid down again. It's just built upon. It's the foundation. It was upon these men, the apostles and the prophets, that the foundation of the church was built on. And of course, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So let's continue this thought on the transferable anointing. We see that a transferable anointing is not seen nor practiced anywhere in scripture. It's not there. And we also find that the apostles did not rush around laying on of hands on people. Remember, he even told Timothy to not be hate, to not do it in haste. This laying on of hands is commissioning somebody to their to their role of leadership. But we don't see the apostles rushing around and laying their hands on people to impart some form of experience or fire or power. They did not chant words over and over and expect an immediate response and speak all kinds of of, of weird words and slogans and so forth. That just doesn't happen in, in the scripture. That's not there. You know, the imp- impartations done today that come through certain men are not this true anointing. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. The true anointing is the Spirit of God. Only God can give the Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, not man. Man cannot control God. 
There is no teaching on how to obtain or release the anointing to another to another believer because it is not a biblical practice. It cannot be done. I want to remind you as well that in the book of Acts, we see there are three different things happening in chapter 2, chapter 8, and chapter 10. In Acts 2, we see the Jews entering the body of Christ and being born again. In chapter 8, we see the Samaritans entering the body of Christ and being born again. In Acts 10, we see the Gentiles entering the body of Christ and being born again. Peter was the one who had to be present. That is why Peter had to go see Cornelius. Each of these three times in Acts 2, 8, and 10, we see Peter open the doors to one of the people groups from those three chapters mentioned. He opened the door to them. Salvation was spreading from the Jew first, then the Samaritans, and finally to the Gentiles. You know, we see the Apostle Paul follow the same pattern in the book of Acts, and we he's following the pattern of Romans 1.16, to the Jew first, and then the Gentiles, then the Greek. So it's important to realize that the apostles didn't just go and pass on the Holy Spirit to everyone they touched. First, they did the following in Acts 8, 14 through 16, where it says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice they prayed to God first, and that he would pour out the Holy Spirit. But the word of God came first. In Acts 8, when Simon the sorcerer even commissions to try to pay for this ability to pass on uh, to pass on the spirit to others. We see in Acts 8 verse 19 through 20 saying this, "Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit." Now, you have to wonder what would be the difference of these today's signs and wonders preachers that claim to have this ability. Because here we're going to see Peter say, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. Repent therefore for this, your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned with bitterness and bound by iniquity. Acts eight twenty two verse 23. Now Peter is rebuking this idea that the power was a type of power that could be given to someone to possess for themselves. God worked through the apostles in special way. We see this in the book of Acts. The first century church is clearly seen throughout the New Testament. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22 reads that, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit living inside us. So what is the anointing? What is this anointing and how do we get it? Well, John tells us in his first epistle in 1 John 2, verse 27, As for you, speaking to the believer, the anointing which you received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. The anointing who is the Holy Spirit is in us. 
It is He who guides us into the truth so we can glorify the Lord Jesus. We certainly are not glorifying the Lord when we go to men to get any so-called Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And John is telling us here that the anointing is the Holy Spirit himself. Now, true spiritual maturity happens by the testing of our faith, by our consistent reading and understanding and applying of the Word of God in our lives, not by some impartation of any experience at a special meeting. Those who promise any kind of quick transformation from a touch or impartation are not delivering the truth that is taught in the Bible. They have another Jesus and another spirit. See what Paul wrote about that in 2 Corinthians 11.4. They have an experiential theology, and experiential theology is death. For truth to exist, there must be an absolute truth. Otherwise, truth is just an opinion. You can have all the most supernatural, wonderful experiences you want, but you cannot know if they are from God or from the ruler of this world without testing it to God's word. Just because something feels right, it looks right, it experiences it, it's spiritual, does not mean it's from God. The demons are spiritual as well. You can't you can't say because it feels good and I experienced it that it must be from God. Because remember, sin is pleasurable for a season as well. Remember, Satan's ministers are transformed as ministers of righteousness. There is a false anointing in the world today, which is not of God, but of the flesh and of the devil, because it is not consistent with the word of God. And if any Christian continues to run after experiences and teachings that are apart from, apart from the truth of God's word and outside of his will for the Christian life, that person is on a certain road to ruin. God has ordained how he wants to be worshipped in our right minds in an orderly fashion and with self-control. Do not make the mistakes of the Gnostics whom Jude and Jude 11 addressed in the early church by taking the way of Cain. They were substituting the works gospel for salvation. Then you have the carnal brother who was persecuted, who persecuted the spiritual brother Abel and offering sacrifices that God has not ordained and not giving our best to God. Jude talks a lot about that with the rushing for the prophet uh, for prophet into Balaam's error and claiming to be holy like Korah. But brothers and sisters, the point here is that in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. And he says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is the only source of truth and our light in Satan's kingdom of darkness. He says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are come out into the world. He says in 2 Corinthians eleven four, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit. Notice, they can receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted. You bear this beautifully. Remember, the word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
It's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit in both joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit and truth. You can't separate them. God's word is truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. If you are following the biblical Holy Spirit, he will be pointing you to the truth of God's word. If you're not growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from his word, you might be following a counterfeit spirit, one of those another spirits. He tells us in John seventeen seventeen to sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, he's talking about, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. This is John 16 verses 13 through 14. We also read that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth and truth. We can't say truth enough here. Brothers and sisters, we are called to grow in a knowledge of the word of God. Philippians 1.9, to let your love abound, to literally explode with the knowledge, a real knowledge. Real knowledge is the knowledge of who God is. It's knowing him. John 17.3, the eternal life is that they may know him. And through having that knowledge, we grow in discernment. We go from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. Hebrews 5 tells us this. We have to remember, we have to grow in the truth of God's word. So that's what we talk about when we look at this idea of some form of transferable anointing. It is not taught in the scripture. The apostles did not write anything of that in the epistles. They did not teach some form of transferring of an anointing to happen. They taught about growing spiritually mature in the word of God. They talked about in Peter, adding to our faith, James, watching our tongue, having order in the church assembly in the Corinthians. But never did we talk about, or did they talk about this idea of touching somebody and transferring some form of power and anointing. Even with Elijah and Elisha, we didn't see that happening. He had to say if it was God's will, the cloak would fall. And it did because it was God's will. But it was never Elijah that was giving it to Elisha. It doesn't happen. The anointing, remember, is the Holy Spirit. And he is in us. And it is he who guides us into the truth so we can glorify the Lord Jesus. We certainly are not glorifying the Lord when we go to these men who are caught up and are handing out some form of so-called Holy Spirit or giving us any kind of special power and anointing. Now, in closing, I would encourage you, I will attach on our website page that we will have titled A Transferable Anointing, and there'll be links there for you to watch some different exposés and documentaries on this entire movement. One of them is called Holy Laughter, Divine or Demonic by Good Fight Ministries' own Joe Schimmel. It's a three-part series, and you need to educate yourself on the history of this whole movement of the laughing revival and all these different things that happen in times past with Rodney Howard Brown, with this idea of the Toronto blessing and things that were happening with Kenneth Copeland and and, and Benny Hinn throughout the past and, and John Wimber with the Vineyard and Toronto Blessing and this Pensacola outpouring. You need to learn about these things. And that's one way of doing it is watching these documentaries. You're also going to see one on there is called White is the Gate, the Emerging New Christianity, the Counterfeit Church. It's a three-volume documentary series. 
you need to watch. And lastly, there's going to be a six-part series that expose a lot more of the history of the New Apostolic Reformation movement. We're going to, you're going to see clips of these things and individuals talking throughout that series as well. And that's going to help you familiarize yourself with these dangerous movements that came into the church. You need to be aware of the past or else it's just going to repeat itself and come back into the church. In our day, it is and has been brought back from the past. This It's like another round of this Rama word faith movement from people like Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland and Rodney Howard Brown and Benny Hinn. We need to educate ourselves because there's a false anointing in the world today, and it's not of God. It's of the flesh and of the devil because it's not consistent with the word of God. All right, brothers and sisters, tune in next time, and we'll go into more teachings and understanding God's word in context.